Once again, good evening. Uh, we're on to uh, chapter 11. And this chapter is going to deal with uh, marital residence and kinship. And these concepts of um, residence and kinship can be a little bit confusing. Uh, we tend to think that our system is somehow natural, uh, but it's just one of a variety of different kinds of uh, kinship systems. And so we'll be going through um, marital residence, which is really what we want to talk about post-marital residence, that is where people go to live after they marry. And very frequently, as you'll see, it's uh, with the husband's family, but sometimes with the wife's family. Uh, the structure of kinship, and here we're talking about various kinds of um, descent groups. And uh, we'll be looking at uh, unilingual descent systems. Uh, some people are uh, related only through the male line, others through the um, uh, female line. And for example, in our um, own typical uh, naming system, you take the name of your husband, and that's a form of patrilineal kind of uh, affiliation or, or descent, although that is fading, um, and we really don't have <coughs> descent groups uh, today, the functions of unilingual descent groups. And these functions are largely um, political. Uh, members defend one another. Uh, they also own land jointly. And so those are, uh, you know, political and economic issues are really intertwined in unilingual descent groups. Uh, looking at variation in residence, we'll find that kind of warfare is really critical for defining um, or determining uh, postmarital residence. The emergence of unilingual systems, <coughs> matrilineages, matriclans, etc., etc., uh, aren't um, in existence everywhere. Um, but uh, they do kind of exist uh, very strongly and powerfully in kind of middle-level societies. And then looking at ambilineal and bilateral systems, we have a bilateral system. And then finally, probably the most difficult topic is kinship terminology. And we'll give you lots of examples of that, but we won't spend a lot of time on it. So here are the uh, various patterns of marital residence. So we're talking about post-marital residence rules, that is where people go uh, after they marry. And um, we have patrilocal, so that means that you go and live with the husband's family, matrilocal. That means upon marriage, the couple lives with the wife's family. Bilocal, it means that uh, one or the other, matrilocal or patrilocal, uh, and so one has a choice. Vunculocal is a pretty rare system only associated with the groups that have matrilineal descent. And basically, if you marry, then uh, the couple goes to live with the man's mother's brother. Uh, to form a um, um, kind of matrilineal household. And the neolocal residence, that is uh, our system, uh, the system that's really uh, common uh, today, that is you set up a new residence. Uh, the couple doesn't live with the wife's family or the husband's family, but they set up uh, a new family, a new household. And obviously this occurs uh, in situations uh, where you have commercializations and people essentially have to move to where the jobs are. And the jobs aren't, you know, basically working on um, uh, the uh, the family farm. Uh, here's the distribution. You can see the patrilocal postmental residence at about 70% is um, really uh, the most common. Uh, in second place is matrilocal. Uh, and uh, again, the neolocal systems are associated with um, um, you know, modern kind of commercial global societies. And we'll talk about the determinants of these postmarital residence rules in just a bit. Um, now we look at the structure of kinship. And so when we talk about types of affiliation with kin, 
Uh, in some societies, there's unilineal descent. It's either matrilineal or patrilineal. You'll see some slides showing that. In other societies, there's a lineal line of descent, but it flips back and forth sometimes between uh, tracing through the mother's line or the father's line. And then we have bilateral kinship, uh, which really isn't a descent uh, system, but it's a system that characterizes what we have, and that we feel that we're equally related both to our mother's people and our father's uh, people, and so we can't get the de development of discrete uh, lineages or clans as a consequence because everyone is kind of multiply related. Uh, here we have patrilineal descent, by far the most common uh, form of descent, and you see that the line continues through males, uh, but it essentially, if you look at this female um, here, uh, even though she's a member of this descent group that goes on, she can't pass on her descent group membership uh, to her children, 17 and 18, because she's married to this man, and those children belong to his descent group. Uh, and again, here's an example of where uh, you have a, a founding couple here, have a, a son and a daughter, and this daughter cannot transmit uh, her descent group membership. She's a member of this patrilineage, but her children are members of her uh, husband's uh, patrilineage. Um, matrilineality is essentially um, the mere opposite. Uh, descent continues only through female links, as you see here. And this male here, although he belongs to this matrilineage, he cannot give uh, membership in that lineage to his children because his children belong to his mother's matrilineage. So he's kind of like a dead end, uh, if you will. And so uh, these two uh, forms of uh, uh, tracing descent are mirror images of uh, one another. Uh, Amillennial descent, as I mentioned earlier, uh, sometimes goes through um, female lines uh, and then sometimes also through male lines. And it kind of goes back and forth. Uh, and it's um, not really uh, uh, very common uh, cross-culturally, and it usually occurs when there's a transition from matrilineal system to patrilineal system. Uh, and so the, 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 the important point is that, you know, you have, this is the discrete uh, kinship group, um, uh, but it's neither matrilineal or patrilineal, so it means amillennials, um, which means both lines of descent uh, matter or can matter uh, in this sort of system of descent. Uh, here's our kind of bilateral kinship system. Uh, we always look at um, uh, the point of reference here is what we call ego. Uh, he's got a mom and a dad, uh, and he's got his brothers and sisters here. Uh, and, you know, he's equally uh, related to his, um, you know, if we look down here, uh, his father's people and his uh, mother's people. Uh, the sibling group, you know, is kind of equally related to everybody. Uh, but... Um, so we have this kind of kind of uh, situation, and you, as a consequence of the way it's structured, uh, there's so much overlapping membership. You cannot establish discrete group membership as you can in unilineal systems of descent, either matrilineal or patrilineal, or sometimes ambilineal. So uh, when you have this kind of kinship system, you typically don't have lineages or clans or these larger kinship uh, kinds of uh, organizations. So we're going to talk about lineages a little bit, clans, fratries, modis, and, and combinations thereof. Um, so, you know, lineages are essentially descent groups, and they're either established through uh, matrilineal um, ties or patrilineal ties, and uh, they can be fairly numerous. Clans are much the same thing except in 
lineages, everybody knows who's the common ancestor. If it's a matrilineage, for example, they know the founding female and how they're exactly related to them. Clans tend to be uh, quite large, and they don't know exactly how they're all intricately related to a founding member because they're extremely uh, large. And so uh, they're pretty much the same thing, except that clans tend to be uh, larger. Um, Sometimes clans are subdivided in or included under a larger group called fratries, and then sometimes moedes. Uh, the text goes through and how these can be in different kinds of uh, combinations. Typically, moedes uh, from the French moitié, meaning one half, uh, means that two lineages kind of like uh, are organized side by side and they exchange uh, marital partners, create alliances, and each side is called you know one half the moiety or the other half of the uh, moiety uh, so the textbook um, explains some of the details um, about these kinds of uh, kinship groupings but you know they're all based on uh, common descent um, <clears throat> so we'll look at some variation in unilateral descent systems in terms of patrilineal organization matrilineal organization and millennial descent uh, you know, as I mentioned before, affiliates individuals with kin related to them, either through men or women. Uh, and what they basically do, these, these functions, you know, we're talking about variation, but we mean function, uh, they regulate marriage. One standard rule uh, in lineage-based societies or kinship-based societies is that you cannot marry someone who is a member of the same lineage or clan. You have to marry someone outside of it. And so one thing they do is regulate marriage and force marriage uh, in an exogamous direction outside of the group. Another thing is that they uh, have a lot of economic functions. They may hold land in common. Uh, for example, when you uh, get married and need some land, then you go to your lineage elders and they allocate some land for you to use. You can't own that land because it belongs to the lineage. And in a sense, it's communally owned, uh, but you're allowed to work it and take the fruit of that uh, land is sometimes use the term usufruct, U-S-U-F-R-U-C-T. So you have the right to use the fruit of the land, but you can't sell it to some to anyone. Uh, they have political functions, that is, they protect one another uh, from other uh, groups who might try to steal or harm or otherwise do bad uh, to them. And they also uh, may have religious functions that are responsible for the celebration of important religious rites that only they can do. So, um, unilateral descent groups do a lot of different things. They, they regulate marriage. Uh, they have uh, economic functions. Uh, they're important politically uh, by protecting the members. Uh, and uh, so they, they're kind of all-encompassing kinds of uh, organizations. One thing states try to do when they get established is to essentially... Uh, wipe out the power of dissent groups because dissent groups can essentially uh, work against the state because the state wants to step in and say, let's say, settle disputes, but lineage is saying, no, no, we're going to protect our own, we're going to engage in a feud with the other group, etc. So uh, once states get uh, developing, then we find that these lineal, unilateral dissent groups begin to uh, disappear because the state actively works uh, towards their um, destruction. Um, now we're looking at different forms of, of residence that we've, uh, we've talked about, and what we want to do is try to explain uh, under what conditions do we see matrilocal versus patrilocal or bilocal residence. As I mentioned before, local residence is, is associated with matrilineal descent. But in the next chart, we see uh, that um, 
type of warfare is really important. External warfare is essentially warfare against people who belong to a different culture, they speak a different language, and so external warfare tends to be long-distance warfare. Uh, and uh, if we, uh, you know, have a situation where we have external warfare, we're going to do more of the primary subsistence as explained and rationalized in the text, then we get this kind of matrilocal, post-marital residence rule. When men do more of the primary subsistence, then we get patrilocal. Uh, internal warfare, on the other hand, uh, means that warfare uh, occurs among people who belong to the same cultural group. So, for example, Sioux versus Sioux kind of warfare, or the people I studied, the Yanomamo, Yanomamo against other Yanomamo villages, that's internal warfare. Uh, and very um, uh, frequently you get a kind of patrilocal post-marital form of descent. But basically, you know, all these factors and why they're logically related are explained uh, in, the, uh, in, in the text from uh, depopulation leading to bio, by local post-marital residents. As I mentioned before, neolocal residents having to do with the advent of commercialization, where married couples essentially have to map on to where the jobs are, and so they set up new uh, households. So take a look at that. Uh, uh, set, you know, that chart and how it's explained in your textbook. Um, as I mentioned before, unilateral descent groups are most common in societies in the middle range of cultural complexity. So we're basically talking about uh, horticulturalists, you know, simple farmers, uh, but not intensive farmers, and also pastoral peoples. These unilateral descent groups um, uh, crop up. And as I mentioned before, unilateral descent groups often have important functions in the social, economic, political, and religious realms of life. And so uh, they do things. Uh, people are organized on the basis of a kinship because it allows them to uh, protect their uh, property against others uh, and deal with people who might want to harm them or take their property and things of that nature. Um, now, explaining amillennial and bilateral systems, um, this is a little bit difficult, but some societies with unilateral descent groups may be transformed into amillennial systems. Uh, under special conditions such as depopulation. And so the idea is to keep the kinship group together. It functions well if it's large. Uh, if there's depopulation and a lost population, then they might kind of add other groups uh, who need a home under that system. And then uh, so we get the development of ambilineal groups with you know depopulation. And you wonder why depopulation is an important factor. And that has to do with the fact that uh, when native peoples encountered Europeans, they frequently succumbed to a disease, were warred upon or were enslaved, and so massive depopulation uh, occurred. And so a lot of what we see uh, in the tribal world is a consequence of colonial exploitation. Uh, the conditions that favor bilateral systems are in large part opposite of those favoring unilateral, uh, I should say unilateral descent, but I wrote unilateral. Uh, but basically, uh, it has to do with the development of the state. Uh, privatization of land, uh, and then you know we get this um, because over here, land in, in lineal systems uh, was essentially communally owned. Uh, but as population density increases, lands become short. People have to invest uh, more into land um, in in order to make it uh, yield enough for a family, and so we get kind of privatization coming into play uh, and uh, bilateral uh, systems which uh, essentially are non-clan based or lineal systems or lineage based systems <clears throat> uh, disappear. Um, kinship terminology. 
Okay. Uh, societies tend to refer to a number of different kin by the same classificator we served. Um, what you know we we have here is the distinction between consanguineal kin and affinal kin. Consanguineal literally means with blood or common blood. Uh, these are the kin that you can um, trace your um, descent to biologically. Affinal kin are essentially your in-laws. And these two groups are ever important in all uh, systems. And so I want to take you through some systems very lightly, others too uh, more, more heavily uh, because there's kind of a, um, a large variety of kinship systems. Uh, so we're going to talk about the Inuit, our Eskimo system, the Omaha, Crow, Iroquois, Sudanese, and Hawaii. Um, the one I'll talk about most is the Inuit, uh, sometimes called a lineal system, and the, the, this system is identical to our own. And so here we have this uh, kinship chart uh, with males in triangles, females uh, in circles, and all the individuals that have the um, uh, same symbol uh, are called by the same term. And so in our system, which is really crude when you think about it, we have mom and dad up here. Those names aren't extended outside uh, of the um, uh, core family group. And then we have brother and sister over here. And then we have this whole undifferentiated group called cousins. We don't even distinguish between um, male cousins and female cousins and also uh, on the other side. And then we also have this other system where we have ants over here. We don't distinguish between mother's ants or father's aunt, and we have uncles here and not making any distinctions. And so this is called a lineal system because certain familial terms are essentially uh, only found within the nuclear family. So it essentially separates the nuclear family from all sorts of uh, other kinship uh, relations. And this typically happens among uh, simple hunting and gathering societies and in modern societies. And in both these kinds of societies, typically, there's an absence of um, lineages. Uh, and so this is the Inuit uh, terminological system. Uh, the next one we're going to consider, I'm just kind of showing this, the Omaha Kinship Terminological System. Uh, it's in the textbook. You can read the details uh, of it, but I won't go into it. Then we have the Crow, uh, which is another kind of uh, system. Uh, but what I want to talk about is the Iroquois system. And Crow and Omaha are really variants on it. And what you see here is something really interesting. <clears throat> Uh, we have a uh, father here. Here's Ego, right? So, and that's his uh, um, brother, and that's his sister. And all of a sudden, you look over here, there's another person over here that he calls brother. And then if you look over here, uh, Ego, there's another person that he calls sister. And, um, and over here, too. And so what you find is that these sibling terms are extended um, to certain kinds of cousins that we'll call parallel cousins uh, because they're the uh, offspring of siblings of the same sex. And so we see these two siblings over here, uh, two, uh, two brothers, and um, their, their um, uh, children are essentially uh, brothers and sisters to one another. The rationale behind this system is that it defines who you can marry and who you can't marry. Clearly, uh, in our own society, and this logic extends to those with a kind of Iroquois kinship terminological system, you would never marry anybody that you would call mother, father, brother, or sister. And so 
What we have over here uh, are these essentially familial terms. Got a mom over here, got a father over here, you got brother and sister over here. These are people you may not marry, uh, but you nevertheless you have very close affiliative relationships with them. You help each other out. And what you have to marry is what we call cross cousins over here. Uh, and these are uh, offspring of siblings of opposite sex. So here's here two siblings here, right? Because and there's a mother and father that led, led to them. Uh, and so these people are capable of being married. In fact, the, the group I worked with, the Anamamo, I uh, have this kind of system. And the name that you call this person over here, if let's say you're a male, you're looking at this person, you call this wife, and you actually call this person brother-in-law. Because the expectation is that you're going to marry this kind of cross-cousin. Same thing uh, applies to 11 sister uh, at 12 over here. And so this system essentially uh, functions to define who one can marry and uh, who one cannot marry. And it's really important in societies that have lineages that are bound to one another uh, through intermarriage. Uh, so, for completion, here's the Sudanese kinship uh, terminological system, the most complex uh, that we know of, and there are a fair number of societies that have this. And then here we have the simplest um, uh, system. Uh, and, you know, for example, that everybody in that generation with ego is brother or sister, right? Everybody in the first descending generation is mother or father. One thing that uh, <clears throat> I'll point out in our system, if we go back up here, is that uh, our system is really crude because, you know, we've got this big group of people in Ego's generation, we just call it cousins. Don't even make a distinction. And up here, the first ascending generation, we've got this group of people that we call aunts and uncles. Aunts and uncles. Don't even um, uh, make a distinction. You know, we make a sexual distinction there that, that we don't at this generation, but we don't talk about mother's side or father's side. Uh, but in most of the kinship terminological systems, especially at this level, uh, there are <clears throat> distinctions made. And so our system is oversimplified uh, and uh, not as complex as many other systems, such as the Omaha, the Crow, Iroquois, or Sudanese system. The simplest of all, as I mentioned, is the Hawaiian system, even simpler than, uh, than ours. Um, and so... That's how you know kinship terminological systems work. Uh, here are some important terms and concepts you should keep in mind. Uh, understand uh, the different postmarital residence rules: patrilocal, matrilocal, neolocal, etc. Determinants of postmarital residence, especially the type of warfare, internal, external, uh, forms of descent: matrilineal, patrilineal. Uh, the difference between consanguineal and affinal, affinal kin. And affinal kin are, are really important. Even though they may not be related to us, uh, they're people that we have enduring relationships, and we essentially use marriage, and this is an important idea, to extend alliances to other groups that we're not related to because we essentially mix our membership through um, blending bloodlines. Kinship terminological systems that I just went over. Uh, again, um, understand that our uh, system is a lineal system, just like uh, the, the Eskimo uh, system and our Inuit system, uh, and essentially um, highlights and isolates uh, the nuclear family and does it because those terms in the nuclear family, mother, sister, father, brother, etc., are not extended to uh, other people. Functions of descent groups, and we have lineages, either matrilineages or patrilineages or matriclans, patriclans, etc., 
Uh, they function in terms of the political realm by protecting member uh, land ownership by being able to uh, allocate land to uh, needy members uh, and all those other things. And so they're really important kind of elements of social organization. And then <clears throat> take a look at the two of the highlights. One is uh, uh, perspectives on kinship in relation to women. There seems to be some evidence uh, that although patriarchy is a universal feature of human existence, uh, women may do a little bit better under matrilineal uh, systems. Uh, their lives are regarded as of equal value to men, uh, and they're able to essentially have uh, more social allies to uh, protect their interests. And then uh, the other highlight of blood is thicker than water, a migration and kinship among Chinese immigrants. And this is a nice kind of a study of uh, the development of Chinese restaurants in, uh, in England uh, and how uh, as people immigrate, uh, kinship ties are really important. They stick together, they help one another, uh, get settled, uh, find places to live, find jobs, uh, things of that nature. And so kinship, although we think it's fairly weak in our own society, it's really uh, pretty strong. Uh, in all societies, and it's really important to uh, immigrants because they're able to exploit uh, their kinship ties. So that's it for Chapter 11 uh, on, um, on kinship.